We began a series last week called Taking God at His Word, and last week it was about acceptance. In other words, before I could accept that the Word of God was, I mean, before I could have any faith in the Word of God, I had to first accept that the Word of God, that Scripture, is infallible and was indeed inspired by Holy Spirit, not just by a bunch of guys that sat around a campfire and thought, hey, let's write this. This will really be cool manipulation for people 2,000 years from now. That's not what it was. And we have to come to the place in order for the voice of the Lord, in order for our faith to activate the promises of God in our life, we first must accept that the Scriptures, that the Bible is indeed infallible. Certainly, Within that, I'm not suggesting that there isn't symbolism included in there. You have to take every verse with the spirit of the verse. In other words, when he says, because you trust in him and you believe in him, and I'm paraphrasing that you can drink any deadly thing and it will not hurt you, that doesn't mean you're going to walk out of this building and you're going to go drink poison and you're going to be okay, or like the snake handlers of Kentucky. It's kind of ridiculous to say to the Father, I'm going to test every word that you've got, by going and finding out if that scripture is really true. What that does is that turns the, the scripture, that turns the word of God into a comic book. It's nothing more than a Marvel series if we do that. So we have to understand the symbolism that's involved. The word is both literal and it is symbolic at the same time. So if he says you can drink any deadly thing and it will not hurt you, tread on the head of serpents. I'm not looking for a snake to put my foot on. If I see the snake, I'm going to take a shovel and I'm going to cut its head off. I'm not trying to test the word. What I'm doing is I want to interpret it correctly. For those of you that were a part of the Holy Spirit series, you'll understand what I'm about to say. That's why we need Holy Spirit. He helps us to correctly interpret what he's saying. So in the instance, the example that I just shared, he's not saying go drink anything that's poisonous or deadly and it's not going to hurt you. He's saying, I've got your back. I want you to know that I've got your back. And if something comes upon you that you're not creating because of your own willingness to take a risk outside of purpose, if something happens, I can protect you from that. But don't jump into a snake pit because you think I'm there. I'm not there, he says, and I don't want to go there. But if you fall into the snake pit, then I'll come and I can rescue you out of that. Does that make sense this morning? So we don't test the word in the sense of saying that, but it's symbolic in the same way. When the Bible tells us in Romans 6 that we're to be buried as Christ was buried, and it talks about water baptism. I'm saying all this for a reason. And I love Romans 6, and I love how it encourages us to kind of parallel the stories between water baptism right now in our lives and then the baptism of Christ unto death. When we go down in that water and then we're brought up out of that water, which we're going to have water baptism in a couple of months. We have another one for those that want. We'll have more to say about that soon. But we come out of that water. It is symbolic. It's saying... I'm letting everybody witness naturally what has already happened in my heart and soul spiritually. What the people are about to witness when I go down is that I have died to myself. That doesn't mean I no longer exist. It just means I've made the decision to receive Christ and let Him begin to do a work in me that begins to change my attitudes, my thoughts, my heart, my mind, my spirit. Does that make sense? I come out of that water, it is like Christ was buried and then rose again and was perfect in every way. I can tell you it's symbolic. The same is true of the last example I'm going to use is John chapter 6. When I read about communion and when I give communion and offer communion in this house and we pass the little cup and we eat the cracker, when we pass communion here, this chapter that I always use is John 6. And I know we can use Corinthians 11 and we can use Luke, uh, I mean Luke 11 and Corinthians 14, we can use those scriptures to illustrate communion and I do use those as well. But John 6 is my favorite, favorite, favorite correlation with communion because everything about John 6 is about relationship and it is about how we react to Jesus Christ. 
In John 6, Jesus said to those who were gathered that day, he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part with me. Now, who among us would not listen to those words and say, do what and what? Unless we eat your flesh and drink your blood, we can have no part with you? And Jesus was not saying that because he wanted them to grab his arm and take a nice chunk out. He wasn't saying that because he wanted them to insert a straw somewhere into his body and begin to suck the juices. He was saying that because it was symbolic, and I know I'm being a little gross this morning, but I'm trying to make my point really clear. He was saying that because what he wants of you and me, he was exemplifying the kind of relationship he wants. And I taught a series some couple, two or three years ago about being blood deep. In other words, getting outside of a flesh relationship and getting into a blood relationship. That's what Jesus Christ was talking about. So it isn't about don't eat. He doesn't, he's not saying to someone, eat my flesh, drink my blood, naturally. He's saying, I want you to come to a place where you know me so well, we are one. We are one. It is though my flesh is on you and my blood is in you. I want us to come to that place. But see, so many of us, if we're not careful, and all of this is going to make sense in a minute, but so many of us, when it comes to the Bible, if we're not careful, we take every single word and we take it as though it is black and white. It is literal, but it is not black and white. That'll make sense in a minute. When I look at that and he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, he literally means eat my flesh and drink my blood, but literal from a spiritual perspective. But we, because we're human, human, we, because we have a little bit of Adam still in us, that's so curious about the fruit on the tree that we can't have, that we must eat, because we have some of that still in us, we want to look at everything through the eyes of Adam, through the eyes of the natural. But like the song we sang this morning, we've got to come to a place where we see what he sees, not what in the natural I'm looking at, and we want to interpret it correctly in every possible way. And the only way that we can do that is when we make a draw on Holy Spirit and we begin to explore all the incredible places that Scripture will lead us to. And I want to tell you this morning, Scripture is neither an end, I'm getting ahead of myself, nor a beginning. Scripture is a doorway. There is the history on one side of that door is infinite. The possibilities on the other side of the door are infinite. There's so much available to us. The problem is most see that scripture and lose sight of what it's pointing them to and instead embrace only what is said, has been said. They love the history of it, but they don't appreciate the possibilities within it. Do you hear what I'm saying today? So I want to talk about that today and it's... Today, the subject is going to be end or beginning. So, I can tell you that everything that I read in this Bible is as relevant today as it was the day it was written. Some of this Bible was written almost 6,000 years ago. 6,000 years ago. That's a long time. 6,000 years ago. And we're still reading it today. Never has there been a book more read than the, than the Bible. Never has there been a book more read. Never been a book sold more than the Bible. Never a book more scrutinized than the Bible. Never a book governments have hated more than the Bible. Never. Never a book people have loved more than the Bible. It is literally on, in every dimension, it is the most loved and hated, depending on, it touches every place in every person's heart and soul. Every place in every nation that has any knowledge of it. It literally has the ability to get into the cracks. Dr. Seuss cannot. It does so much and has so much potential. And when you read it, 
You can draw so much out of it, and when I read it, I draw so much out of it that I want to know what I'm not seeing. For some people, when they read it, they want to research other places in reference to that particular scripture that they will find within the cover of the Bible. When I read it, I ask Holy Spirit, show me what about that particular scripture that has never been seen yet. I'm a curious cat. Man, I want to know. I'm sniffing around every corner. I'm looking over every wall. If I can climb it, I'm going to climb it. If I can't climb it, I'm going to find something to prop up against it so that I can get up and I can peek over. Because I am a curious cat, man. I want to know what else is there with this thing. If that verse can change me, have anybody, has anybody ever been changed by a single verse? Then let's ask ourselves this question. If that verse can change us that much, what else did he say? What else is he saying in relation to that verse that can change us that much more? Is anybody interested in that place? I'm interested in that place. One of the things that I didn't like about church growing up when I, was, when I was in church, when I was going to church, when I paid attention to whatever was going to church, that wasn't often, but when I was there, one of the things about me was I just had a hard time, even when I was 10 years old and I shared the story last week and I was reading five verses of the Bible every night and didn't get it. You know what? At that time, everything that was related to God was in that book. Everything I thought that I could possibly know about God, I had to find in that book. So it was easy for me to read five verses every night. Well, now I've read that Bible. I don't know how many times I've read that Bible since I was 10 years old. I have no idea. A lot. So you know what? Now I'm like, okay, now I know what's all in there. But man, if that's all there is to it, there's got to be more. And it created a passion in me from which the rock is born. I want to see what I've never seen. And I want to hear what I have never heard. I want to speak what has never been spoken, not because it wasn't available to be spoken by someone else, but because somebody wasn't willing to speak it. Over and over and over and over in Scripture, we find that in the absence of a particular leader that the Father had chosen, He ended up having to choose another because somebody declined the responsibility. At some point in time, each of us, we take and we receive whatever responsibility is allotted to us. Maybe some of the responsibility we get is because someone else declined it. But when we get it, man, let's embrace it. Amen. Does anybody hear me? We have a responsibility to search out everything that the Father has for us. And I can tell you there's nobody in this room and there's nobody on this planet that has a full understanding of everything that God has for you and me. When he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the earth to be crucified, to die, and then to rise again so that you and I could be reconciled to him, and so that he could send Holy Spirit to help us understand all the parts and pieces to God, when he did that, you know why he did that? He did not do that so that we could come to a place where we were masters of the Bible. He did that so that we could come to the place where we ruled and reigned the entire earth. We became masters of our domain, and the earth is our domain. Does anybody hear me this morning? So let's explore this, this morning. Everybody say, I am an explorer. So let's begin by reading, once again, I read this last week, I'm going to read this every week, and that is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 in the English Standard Version, and it reads like this. All Scripture, everybody say all Scripture is breathed out by God, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete. Everybody say complete. complete. And equipped for every good work. I'm going to read it one more time. All Scripture. Thank you. You don't have to do that. Is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, 
and equipped for every good work. I shared a little bit last week. I'm going to share it again today just for a moment. What the word complete really is. Complete means I have everything I need started, but I'm not finished. To be a complete person means I have everything that I need to get started, but my task isn't finished. Let me give you an example. I'm a camper. Those of you that are a part of this church, you know, or this house, you've been here any length of time, you know that a couple times a year, with the exception of the last year and a half, but a couple times a year, I take a group of men out of the church and we go camping up in the mountains of, of Georgia. And when we go out there, we'll put a 50-pound backpack on our back and uh, we will hike for six or seven miles and we literally will cross 21 uh, bodies of water. There'll be streams or there'll be this deep. They're usually never more than waist deep. I, I don't think we've ever been deeper than that. But there are streams of water that we will cross and there's 21 of them to cross to get to these particular campsites that we go to. So when we go up there, and a number of you have been with me on these trips and we do it a couple times a year, a year and it's exhausting. But before we go on that trip, we have to be prepared. We need to be ready. So we make sure that we have our backpacks. We make sure that we have everything that we need, dry socks, dry shoes, everything that if it's cold, we need to know the coldest it's ever been that we've gone was 17 degrees. We're sleeping in a tent. Ice was everywhere, but it was one of my favorite trips that we've ever taken. We're sleeping out in a tent and it's blistering cold out there. It was blissfully wonderful too. And we're out there and we're hiking through this and we're hiking through this water, these bodies of water as we go. And it's just fascinating. But before we go, we have to be prepared. So upon leaving, we load up in my truck and we throw all of our backpacks in, our back, in, our, in the back of my truck. And I ask the guys, did you get everything? Everybody, you're pretty certain you got everything you need. Your pack is complete. You are completely ready, everybody say completely ready, ready. for the trip. trip. And of course, and everybody says yes, 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 till we get there and we find out that somebody's not. But you get there, but everybody believes at the moment that they are completely ready for the trip. We have our packs, and usually they're around 50, unless you're James Padgett, they weigh about 65 pounds, Um, but he can carry it. I can't, his pants weigh twice as much as mine because he's twice as tall as me, but... (laughs) So we go in and we have our packs and we get there. Well, as soon as we get there, remember, we're completely, everybody say completely, Completely. ready for the trip. But we're not finished. We haven't finished the trip. Everything's complete that we need to successfully manage it, but it's not finished. See, now I got to get there and I got to figure out where exactly are we going to enter the forest? What's, what is our entry point going to be this time? So we travel down with my truck. We travel down these logging roads and, and they're in the middle of nowhere and you're driving down these bumpy logging roads and you see deer and wildlife and it's beautiful and it's incredible and all of this and they're all logging roads. That's all they are. And we're cruising down these roads and turning here and turning there and somebody's usually helping me navigate as best they can because you lose your GPS signal, you lose your cell phone signal, you lose everything. And then we decide where we're going to go. We park the truck somewhere on the side of the road and we get out and we begin to make our way into the woods. And we start trekking through these woods and as we are trekking through these woods, now, again, we're complete. I have everything that I need to be successful, but I'm not finished. See, now I've got to navigate this thing and we come to the water crossing and we've got to figure out and look at this thing and, and decide, okay, although I have everything I need, I can't just step into that water and take off. I need direction. Where's the best place to cross? If this is eight feet deep and it's fast moving water, that would be foolish for me to get in right there. But there's probably a different place provided. So let me walk down a little bit. Let's walk down here a quarter mile or a half mile or 100 yards or whatever it might be. And let's find a place where we can get through and we'll go through there because it's a little less shallow. And we all have those packs on. It's the funniest thing. If somebody falls in the water with a pack in moving water, they look like a floating turtle. Because here's this pack on top of water. Instead of helping each other, we are cracking up laughing. (laughs) Oh, look at that. Get your camera out. Take a picture quick. We're we're relentless. Don't go camping unless you enjoy. If you don't like being laughed at, don't go camping with me. (laughs) So we've searched that out. Then we got to find a campsite. We've crossed all this water. We're wet. We're cold. We got to find a campsite. Then when we get there, 
We're still complete. We, in our mind, in our heart, in our pack, we have everything that we need mostly. We're complete as far as the trip is concerned, but well, we, we need, we're going to have to have a fire. We're going to need firewood. See, we couldn't pack firewood in our pack. Even though we were complete in our mind, we knew what we had to do. We knew what we were after, but I can't put everything in there. I can't put live trout in my pack. I have to catch them in the river. I've got the pan to cook the trout in, but I can't put the trout in my pack. I guess I could. If I were Bear Grylls, he carries it all in his pack. But I'm not Bear Grylls, and I don't like to smell a rotten fish. So I've got my fly rod hooked on the side of my pack, but I don't have the fish. So we get to where we're going, and we go out there, and we'll catch some fish, and we'll eat some fish. If we catch some fish, if we don't catch fish, then we eat dry food. And i got to find firewood. Find my spot. You got to use a restroom. You got to find a spot to use a restroom. But we're not finished until day three when we come out of those woods. And you're, you're feeling pretty finished at that point. All you can think about, we're coming out of the woods. And literally, we're walking up the side of this mountain. You have very little energy left. And you're climbing out the side of this mountain. And all we say to each other is, at the top of this mountain, there is a double whopper. <laughs> Keep going, boys. <laughs> And that tends to be our motivation. <laughs> Double Whopper, two fries, the biggest shake I can get. I know for all the Optavia folks, listen, I'm going to just tell you right now, I go camping, I'm getting a Double Whopper. And a, it, so you're climbing out of this thing. But see, we were complete when we began, but we weren't finished yet. We weren't finished until the assigned task was finished. He still was doing work, but he gave us the knowledge that we needed to be able to finish the task. We were complete in the sense that we possessed the tools, the instruments, the idea, the thought, the perspective, but we were not finished in the sense that it had been done. Does that make sense this morning? So I want you to understand that I, when I'm complete, that means I have everything that I need to get started, but I am not finished until the journey is complete. So, so what is the Bible to us? Is it the end of His instruction or is it the beginning? Let me ask you a question. In this Bible, I looked this morning just to be sure, but in this particular Bible, there are 1,042 pages from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 in the last verse. There are 1,042 pages in this Bible. Did God say... Everything that he needed to say in this Bible? Absolutely not. The Bible is complete, but it is not finished. It's complete in its ability to get me started, but it cannot finish me. If that were true, our salvation would, be, would come because we own a Bible, not because we received Christ. Remember, the Bible is not salvation. Christ is. The Bible is not even the gospel. Christ is. The Bible is not even the truth, nor is the Bible a lie. The Bible is a book that is holy, and it's only holy because it was inspired by Holy Spirit. There's nothing more holy about this than there is any other book except that it was inspired by Holy Spirit. It is a gateway. It is a doorway. The Bible, as I said before, I say it again, I want to make it clear, I'm not trying to ruin anybody's theology, and yet I am. Because if you believe for even a second that the Bible is the gospel, you are robbing yourself of the fullness of what the Father wants to finish in you. You might be complete, but you aren't finished yet. And he wants to do some finishing work on us. He's not looking for a house that is framed. He's looking for a house that he can apply drywall and roofing and she, uh, paint and carpeting. He wants to finish the foundation of who we are, the completeness. It's, we, we might be done, but we're not finished. Does anybody hear what I'm saying? So when we go to this and we look at this, and I can tell you that he has not, he has not said everything that he's ever going to say right here in this Bible. He has not. 
I can tell you anyone who has ever come to the knowledge, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ knows that before you felt the urge, before you felt compelled, before you felt Holy Spirit tugging on your heart strings, spirit strings, those butterflies, whatever you want to call it, before you felt conviction and you sensed and you knew, you know what, I don't get all that this preacher's talking about or however you came to Christ, before you knew what any of that was, there was something in you that said, this is your moment. It's time for you to give your heart to Jesus Christ. And you felt that. There, your story, your story cannot be found within the pages of this book. Does it make your story invalid? It does not make your story invalid. See, God still had something to say, and He had to say it to you, Sherry. And He said, Sherry, Beck, I want you to know something today. I want you to come and serve me. And He called you out. Now, if you went to the Bible and said, unless I find Sherry Beck's name in this Bible, it is not God that's calling me. Had you done that, you would not be sitting here today and you would not be a changed life. Does anybody hear what I'm talking about today? I am not. Everybody say, he is not. I am not in any way invalidating Scripture. In fact, I am validating it with what I'm saying today. It's going to make sense to you in a minute. For those of you that have heard what I'm about to say, you're going to hear it again. But it's going to make sense to you in a minute. So, does God, has He, did He say everything that He needed to say in 1,042 pages? Absolutely not. Because He knew that one day He was going to have to call Steve Parker. And He knew that nobody was going to read in here, Hey, on this particular day, on July the 8th, 1985, don't forget to call out Steve Parker because He's going to be sitting in the back of that church in Houston, Texas, waiting for somebody to call His name. I'm glad that the preacher wasn't looking for that verse in his Bible because he wouldn't have found it and I wouldn't be here. But what he did do is he used this as a gateway and he said, I'm going to preach out of this book and there's some complete people in here that need to be finished and when they hear the words that I'm about to release, that complete person is, is going to start his finished work. He's going to start getting some pruning taken, done on him. Amen? So, what we need to understand about the Bible is the Bible is not a prison, it's an arrow. Everybody say that with me. Say, the Bible, the Bible. is not a prison, it's not a jail, it's an arrow. It's not something to trap me. It's something to release me. It doesn't trap me into something. It releases me into something. When I become a Christian, when I become a believer, when I receive Jesus Christ and I accept Him and I say, you know what, I've been a sinner. I don't even get all this stuff about Christianity that everybody talks about. I don't even like most of it. But I can tell you, all I know is, I know that you're real. I don't know about this denomination, that denomination, that non-denomination, that whatever, this whatever. I don't know about this place or that place. What I do know, God, is you're real. And I do believe that Jesus Christ is your son. And I do believe Holy Spirit is that part of you that came to make me aware of who you are, the depths of who you are. I do believe that. So I want to know you. So I want to know you. Now, when that happens... The tragedy of the church today, if I were going to preach on that, the tragedy of the church world today is that when that happens and when we come to Christ, when people come and they make a commitment to receive Christ and they want their life to change, suddenly they feel like everything about their life, they're going to have to somehow get that Bible down there and somehow get absorbed into this. It can't happen. In fact, when that does happen, what that does is turn an opportunity for a believer to become a voice. Instead, it turns that opportunity into a man or into a woman becoming a prisoner. And prisoners never have anything that anybody wants to manipulate or uh, imitate or duplicate. It turns people that get trapped by the Bible become someone who that's all they do is quote the Bible. Oh, something I hate more, I don't know if there's anything I, just, I don't like more, is to get around people that every other word is they're quoting a scripture. I'm thinking, Lord, you know the Bible, but do you know Christ? Holy cow, you can quote scripture better than anybody I know, but do you know Christ? I stopped, honest, true story. I stopped memorizing scripture a long time ago, 15, 20 years ago. I had the whole book of James, the entire book of James memorized from front to back because I thought every good preacher did that. And I was so thankful for the day that I realized, man, it isn't about what I'm quoting. It's about what I'm living. What do I believe? 
Is there anything? Most of the time when people quote scripture over and over because they don't have enough of Christ in them yet, they haven't explored his places yet enough to have something else to talk about. Does anybody hear me this morning? So what is the Bible? Is it the end or the beginning? I can tell you that while it's a prison for some, it's a gateway for others. It's an arrow and it's pointing us to something that is bigger than ourselves. And I was saying to a man, I was talking to a man in my office this week, and I won't say who the man was, but I was speaking to a man in my office this week and he happened to watch live from over on the coast last week. And he came in and I met with him for a couple hours. And he started talking to me about uh, the service and what he, would, what he had watched and what he had seen and, and had some questions about it. And I was talking to him about it and I said, and it's not a prison. The Bible's not a prison. I said, it's unfortunate that so many people get trapped in it, and it is their end. For the people that come in and and they take that thing and they say, man, if I can't find it in the Bible, it's not God. For those people, it's an end. They have no future. They have no tomorrow. Don't miss what I'm saying today. Don't put words in my mouth. Listen to what I'm saying. Listen to the whole story I'm about to tell you. You'll get it. For those people, it's an end. They have no future. They're not going to grow in God. The moment I say to the Father, everything you're ever going to say to me has already been written, then you know what he's going to do? He's going to say, then I'm going to stop talking because if, 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 if all I am is what you're reading, might as well read it. I'm going to spend my time with somebody that has an ear to hear. Why would Scripture tell us that we need to be people that have eyes to see and ears to hear if there was nothing he was going to show us and speak to us? Now, I do believe that what we see and hear and what's outside of this that he says to us beyond that, it's never going to violate the integrity of the, of the Word. It will never violate the integrity of, of, the, of His infallible Word. But I said to him, I said, so for some, it's a prison, and some of them, they get trapped in it, and, and they can't live by the rules, and they can't live by the laws, and they, it's this whole exodus experience again. And they get into this thing, and they begin to look to the cow and the calf, because the word, because the rules, because the regulations, they don't understand it, they don't get it, they don't understand. Now, we didn't have the law yet, but he said, they, but I said they begin to live in a way they can't get it, they, they're frustrated, they're, they're mad, they're angry because they read this, and then they, they just can't do it, and they feel guilty all the time. And I said, but then there's others, they look at this and they say, okay, this is pointing me and telling me that God is actually bigger than this book. God is actually bigger than this book. And if I will explore those places in the kingdom of God, if I will explore and if I will ask the Father, tell me what you want me to know, He can finish what He had already completed. Scripture completes us in the sense that it gives us the foundation that we need to grow on. But what about all the people that have gotten saved and gone to be with the Lord and they're they're sitting with Him today and they never read a single verse in the Bible because they didn't have one? I mean, you keep in mind, this thing has only been around like this in this form for a couple hundred years, 300 years, 400 years. We've only had this thing for about 400 years, so everybody before that, everybody before 1,500 and whatever, too bad for you. Sorry that God didn't care about you. I mean, there weren't even printing presses. To get a Bible would have been impossible. The only people that would have had a Bible would have been the teachers, the priests. Because it would have been impossible to get. And it wasn't even this thing that is the Bible. They had the Septuagint, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then when the Codex came around, when, the, when we got the, the, the Gospels and the and Scriptures beginning to be developed, and the printing press and made it available to everybody, Suddenly, because it was available to everybody, we begin to make this thing a prison. And the Father said it was never meant to be a prison. And there's so many people that are trapped by that. There's life in it. There's life that flows from it. But the life should lead us to the fullness. It should not lead us to Revelation 22, 21 and then say the end. I, in fact, I'll challenge you with this. If you want to ask the Father, you ask Him, say, Father, you show me something that I've never heard before. I'm going to tell you, can I tell you this? I'm going to tell you this. You, you just, you tell me if I'm not telling you the truth. 
You ask the Father, say, tell me something about myself. You share something about me. Share something about your goodness related to me that I don't know right now. And when he does, you'll find something that's similar probably in Scripture. And yet you'll find you never read it in Scripture. But he spoke it to you. Because you were willing to talk to him. Not only draw from those he had talked to eons before you. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying this morning. I'm not invalidating this. In fact, if you'll hear what I'm saying and you can draw from me, the words in this book will become more powerful to you than they have ever been before. We're getting there. So how do we explore these possibilities of His Word to us without adding to or taking away from His Word? His Word, the Bible says, and I want you to turn there to John chapter 21. You know what, I'm going to have to read it on my iPad because I left my glasses in my office. But I want you to turn to John chapter 21. Verse 25. And it reads like this. And there are many things which Jesus did, which, if they were written in detail... Even the world, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Do you know what I find is irony? That so many churches and preachers even today that are standing up and saying, put your faith in this Bible, put your faith in this Bible, I find it irony that God never said it, and that is not even in the Bible. Because He never said it, and He never intended it. He never said it, and He never intended it. But the irony is, to me, that for those of us, we've all been there. Some are still there. Some of you are going to be set free today. Some of you will be set free next week. You'll listen to this over and over again when you get over your mad at me. <laughs> You're going to listen to it over and over again when you go ahead and accept that what I'm telling you today is the truth and I'm not telling you something that's being made up. I'm going to prove it to you right here in Scripture. So for those that are Bible worshipers today, you're watching online or even in this house and you're a Bible worshiper, I'm going to show you today if you're going to worship the Bible, worship the whole truth in it. And it's going to, then it's going to take you outside of itself. Oh, I didn't just say that. Yes, I did. I did. That's the irony. That if you really believe the Bible to be true, the Bible is that arrow that points you outside of itself. But we conveniently skip that verse. Because nobody, we're comfortable in the known realm. We're comfortable when people want to argue or people want to ask us questions about the church if we can lead them back to the Bible. I don't even want to lead anybody back to the Bible. I want to lead them to relationship. I want to lead them to Christ. And the Bible and Jesus Christ aren't the same. It's not the same. You know that. Be honest with yourself. You know that. They didn't come and take a Bible and put it on a cross. There's no hands, no feet, nothing to put a spear in the side of, nothing to put a crown of thorns on, no beard to pull out. It couldn't walk down the Via Dolorosa on its own. Couldn't carry a cross. The Bible and Jesus Christ are not the same. The irony is the very Bible we put our confidence and our faith in, the very one, that so many people believe that is the all in all, and it is the end and the beginning. It is the complete work. There's nothing after this. I'm so thankful that I have this. Remember a few weeks ago I talked about looking on the other side, what's past it? The Bible itself says there's more beyond me. 
The Bible itself, the very Bible that we, re- re- we read in about, I don't know, eight or ten times it's mentioned in Scripture about not adding to or taking away from the spirit of it. Not the letters. If it were true that it was taking away or adding to the letter, that we don't know, not a single one of us possesses a Bible that would be valid in that case. Because every translation upon every translation upon every translation loses something of the value of the first. Do you hear me today? I know this isn't the kind of preaching most people are used to, but I'm, gonna, I'm just trying to help you understand the truth today because I want you to get outside of this place. So let's talk about what's the Bible do? So the irony of it is the Bible that says don't add or take anything away from it It's that same Bible that says there's a lot more in a place that's outside the covers of this thing you're reading right now. That's in your Bible. That's in your Bible. We just read it. Let's read it again because I don't think some folks got it. So read it again. Let's put it up there. In John 21, it says, 25, and there are also many other things that Jesus did if they were written in detail. I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would have to be written. The world itself. So the Bible says, you want to know Christ? If we think we can know Jesus Christ because we read this from cover to cover a thousand times over, You might know what Christ did, but you will not know what Christ is doing. You might know what the potential of God was, but you will not know what God's plans are. And if this has so much value, why is it the very same Bible, Kevin? The very same Bible says, if you think this is good, remember when Jesus in John 6, in fact, I'm going to refer back to it. Remember in John 6, and Jesus says, if you will eat my flesh and drink my blood, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part with me. And then the scripture says a few verses down, it says they all looked at him cross-eyed thinking, what in the world are you talking about? Have you lost your mind? What are you doing? And he said, you know what? If you have a problem with that, what are you going to do when I ascend into the heavens? He said, you're about to see what you have never seen before. I'm going to ascend into the heavens. And then the very next verse says, and many of them walked with him no more. They thought he was a lunatic. They said, you've lost your mind. So when we consider that, and you transpose that and lay that on top of what we just read. The world, if the works of Christ were written in a book, I suppose the world itself could not contain them, would not be large enough to contain them. Do I want to, how badly do I want to know him? Then I need to know. This thing is an arrow pointing me to search out the parts that haven't been searched. Am I willing? Am I willing to ask myself, what else are you saying that I have yet to hear? Am I willing to ask myself, if I've made this the all in all, the end? And in truth, it's simply the beginning. It's not the prison, but instead it's the arrow. Believing for more is not adding to the scripture. It is exploring completely what is already available. What good? Let's be practical. What practical good would it have been for the writers of scriptures to write so many books that we could not possibly write them or read them? What good would it be? And what good would it be for the writers to write books that would not be applicable in every man and every woman's life? 
I say about the ministries of this church, I want, every, I want to make sure there's something available for everyone, but I don't expect everyone to be a part of everything. Because Holy Spirit is doing different things in our lives. This one might need one thing, this one might need another thing, but Holy Spirit knows that. So what practical good would it have been for the Father to say, I'm going to, you know what, I'm, I'm going to put it in writing because I know that you're man. And I know you have a little bit of Adam nature, so I'm just going to put it in writing and I'm going to make it real easy for all of y'all to read it, and then you'll just know it's me. Wouldn't have been any practical good because one, most people don't read one book. And we thank God didn't know that. God knew. He knew your spirit wanted it all. But Adam, he liked to eat fruit. Adam preferred to sit by the tree and eat rather than read. We wouldn't even be here preaching today if Adam had said, you know what, Eve? I'm going to go read a book. You eat. Matthew twenty two twenty nine reads like this. Jesus answered them, and this is concerning the resurrection. He said, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Interesting statement. He separates the two. He said, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. And you don't have the power of God because you know scripture. And I don't care what version you read this in, it reads the same. The spirit of it is the same. He said, Jesus answered them concerning the resurrection. He said, you are wrong. He said, your interpretation of what's about to happen or what you can expect is wrong because you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. And yet they were, in fact, go there to Matthew chapter 22. Let me do this real fast. Talking about whose wife is this one going to be in the resurrection? And I don't have my glasses on, so I'm going to have to do the very best that I possibly can. This could be near impossible. I don't know, honey, can you hold in the front row? <laughs> I'm not kidding. I can't see this thing. I need some glasses. Let me, yeah, let me use your glasses, please. They're pink. This is sweet. I like this. They don't even fit all the way back to my ear. Is there a certain place I'm supposed to look out through these? <laughs> Yours are different. Wow. Let me start with verse 23. The same day Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection. They asked him a question. He said, hey, Moses said, and they're quoting scripture. Everybody say they're quoting scripture. Because that's what good Christians do. Let's get over the glasses. Okay. Get your laugh out. If a man dies and he has no kids, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. That's what Moses said. Now, there were seven brothers among us. We had a bunch of us. We had a big family. The first married and died, having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So, too, the second and third and down to the seventh. After them, all the woman died. You suppose? Bless her heart. After them, all the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife is this one going to be? For they all had her. She was all their wife. And Jesus said to them, said, wow, you can sure enough quote scripture. But you need to read John 21, 22. Jesus answered them. He said, you're wrong. He said, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Wait a minute. What do you mean we don't know scripture? We just quoted you the scripture. No, you know how to read the scripture, but you don't know how to interpret it. He said, you can't interpret Scripture without the power of God. So without the power of God, Scripture is just a book. He says, you are wrong because you know neither the Scripture nor the power of God, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor yada, 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 and the rest of it, and you know the rest of the story. Thank you, honey, for these. These are nice. 
He said, you know neither the Scripture nor the power of God. He says, but if you want to know the power of God, get out of your Scripture for a few moments and let me show you a miracle. Thank you. Oh, that was so nice. <laughs> There's a fingerprint right in the middle of them. Oh, man. I can't do it. It's just not meant to be. He said, you know, neither the Scripture nor the power of God. He said, if you'd put that down for a moment and consider that the Father might want to be saying something to you, Sadducees, how's he going to say it to me? Well, for one, I'm, I'm talking. Do you want to hear what he's doing right now? Just listen to me for a second. Oh, wait a minute now. You're not in the Bible, at least not in the Bible that we like. Jesus said, doesn't matter if I'm not in the Bible you like. It doesn't disqualify me. I'm qualified because I and the Father are one. He is my Father and I am His Son. So if you want to hear, you want to experience the power of God, you don't know the Scripture nor the power of God, you want to experience the power of God, then the Scripture will begin to make sense because you'll begin to interpret it not with your mind but with your spirit. And He'll begin to that Scripture that you right now use as law will begin to become life. It will lead you to places, not trap you in places. Is anybody hearing me this morning? Jesus said concerning the resurrection, you are wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. And then I want to read this verse in Psalm 25, 14. In the English Standard Version, it says this. This is amazing. Psalm 25, 14 says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He makes known to them His covenant. Going back to the practicality, impracticality of the Father writing enough, releasing enough books to be published so that we could know everything about Christ and His ability to do a work in our lives and change us. It's impractical because most people don't read a single book, let alone books that the world isn't big enough to contain. And yet... He says, if you can accept that what this is doing is pointing you to something greater, which is what John 21, 25 says, is pointing you to more. There's more if you're willing to explore it. You know that one that everybody looks past? There's more if you're willing to explore it. But he says, for those who fear him, he makes known to them, he makes known to them his covenant. That's what happened to everybody who never had one of these. They feared Him and He made known to them His covenant. Now listen to this. Let me tell you what that first, second word means, friendship. Let me read it again. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him and He makes known. Everybody say, He makes known. Thank you. To them, His covenant. The interpretation of that word friendship, you ready for this? Are you ready? Are you ready? In the original text, the interpretation of that word friendship is secret counsel. So let's read it like it was originally written. The secret counsel of the Lord. Oh! The secret counsel of the Lord is reserved for those who fear Him. Who fear? Reserved for those who fear? Hmm. There are a lot of people who fear this and all the laws in it that they might break one. But if they would instead fear Him, the laws would take care of themselves. I'm just talking and hoping, hoping someone's listening. 
The secret counsel of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He makes known to them, them, those who fear Him, His covenant, His promises, His promises. Mm. So how do we access the secret counsel of the Lord? By using the tools that He's given us. I'm going to read the Bible, but I'm not going to read Scripture as a law. I'm not going to read it because I'm legally bound to read it. I'm going to read it because I'm ex I have expectation that it's going to point me to John 21, 25 and show me things I have never seen. I want to know where the book is that Jesus did on the second. I want to know what happened after the wedding of Cana. I want to know, let, tell me about the conversation you had with all those people that were at that wedding came, and came and talked to you and asked you what just happened. I want to know, I want that, where's that volume? Where's that volume where after you raised Lazarus and you called him out of that tomb, where's that book when you walked away from there that tells me exactly what kind of conversation you had that night before you laid down on your cot sitting around that fire with those men who followed you and they wanted to know more. I want to know about that conversation. I want to know what happened the day that your mama and daddy had to discipline you. I want to know about that day when you were 12 years old and you got caught up in the temple and you thought you were a big dog and you're teaching all the teachers. And mom and daddy had to come back and get you and the Bible says you are now subject to them and we never heard from you again for 18 years. Where are those books? There's a lot of those. He was getting Adam worked out of him. Is anybody hearing me today? Amen. So if I'm taking God at His word, is it the end or is it the beginning? Man, the possibilities. Yeah. If you can get what I'm saying to you today, I can promise you it will change your life. He said to those Sadducees and those Pharisees, He said, you know neither the Scriptures nor do you know the power of God because if you knew the power of God, you would not have interpreted that Scripture like that. You're trying to use the scripture as a law to bind up. And I use it as an arrow to set free. And I got to tell this and I'm going to wrap it up. I remember years ago, I'm going to tell this story because this is a man that I loved and love today. And most of you, many of you in this room know you'll know of who I'm speaking. But I'll never forget the day as Holy Spirit was beginning to teach me about the Bible and the reality of what the weight, the, the, the place of Scripture, the Bible, in my life as a teacher. And I had been, the rock was about two years old, maybe a little bit less, maybe a little bit more, but around that mark. And he was really beginning to teach me and help me become aware of John 21, 25 and what's past that, all the things that Christ did and being willing to explore what's outside of that because God's still talking. And he was exploring that and I was talking about that on a particular Sunday morning and I tossed the Bible just like that out there on the platform. And then I went and I stood on it just like this. And you could have heard a pin drop just like that. <laughs> and I did that to find out, to test the hearts of the people and find out, were you offended by what I just did? And if you are, then you've made the Bible your God. You've misinterpreted what it was meant to be. And after service, a man I loved and love today, Russell Wheatley, was so offended, Kathy's husband, 
Oh, he was so upset that I did that. And Russell came to me and he said, there's no place for that. <laughs> Russell, if you knew Russell, you knew Russell didn't mind saying. But Russell loved me. He was never, ever, ever disrespectful. And he said that, I wasn't okay with that, you doing that. And if you know me, <laughs> it didn't change it didn't change my position. And I said, Russell, I'm sorry that that was offensive to you, but I hope that you'll learn from that. And I don't know what kind of conversation he had with Kathy when they went home that day. I don't know what he might have told Shelby, his daughter, when he went home that day. But I know this, it wasn't very long after that. And Russell and I went to lunch. And actually, we went to lunch, and you won't even believe where we went. We went to Denny's over there on 1792, of all places. There's a thousand better places. But if you're going to get to the truth, Denny's is a good place to do it, because you got about 10 minutes before you're throwing up what you just ate. But we sat there, and, and Russell said, I just want to talk to you about that day. And I don't know how much time had passed, but he said, I just want to talk to you about that. And he said, I get it. I now get it. Never has anyone had more. There are those with as much, but no one has ever had more of a heart than Russell Wheatley. To look forward in order to engage the fullness of the truth. He was so willing to look beyond what he currently knew and understood, even if it was offensive to him. And usually what offends us isn't because of God. <laughs> It's because of our own rules that we've written. But the day that I did that not only helped awaken the people, but what the people might not have known is it began to awaken me and helped me understand, you know what, I stood on that and I put that, threw that down on that floor. And it might have offended people in here this morning. Maybe you're watching online and it offended you because the perspective you come from, everything you've ever heard was, it's, it's, it's like the American flag, man. It doesn't touch the dirt. But when we understand, when you know the power of God, then you can know the truth in the Scripture. Amen. The power of God isn't wrapped up in the leather cover of this Bible the power of God is wrapped up in the faith that I have in him and if my faith is in him he will make everything in this word come alive and instead of just being a book it's a voice that I hear it's the wind that I feel it's the air that I smell and breathe and it changes everything about me if I can accept that it is not the end But it is an arrow, it is an open door, it is an avenue to the possibilities that are ahead of me that I have not even yet considered. There are people, and I'm going to wrap it up right now, but there are people today that are still waiting and believing for an answer to a particular prayer, to a particular need, whatever it is, because they keep praying the same scriptures over and over and over again. Could it possibly be that the Father's saying, ask me a little differently? I already know what John said. I already know what Paul said. What I want to know is, what are you saying? I know how they prayed. I know how David sang his psalms and wrote his poems. I want to know what's in you. Is there a word in you? And that's what He's calling out from us. Show me. 
I believe if you could hear the audible voice of God right now, you would hear Him ask you right now to show Him. You would hear Him say, show me that you have the kind of faith that can believe John 21, 25 that says, Christ did so much, it can't be put in that book, but if you will search me out, I'm happy to show you and make it your testimony too. It's funny to me when the church says, they quote the scripture again, so often quote the scripture about greater works than these, greater works than he did. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> Come on. That's not hard to do if all you're going to do is do this. But if you think it's hard to do greater works than we know about here, now begin to consider the works that we don't know about that the world can't, isn't big enough to contain the books that it would take to record it. You can't say, oh, I thought he only meant what was in here. No. It's all or nothing. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying this morning? Holy Spirit, open the hearts of the people today. Let the eyes see and the ears hear what they've not seen, what they've not heard. Not loosely, not like some fairy tale or myth, but the, just the truth of it. Just the life that is in you that you want to release to your sons and your daughters. It doesn't matter who we are, how long we've known you, if we know you. What matters today is if there's a heart that needs to be changed today, my prayer is you change it today. Remove the feeling and the sense in, in so many minds that, man, if I come to Christ, then I'm gonna, all of a sudden I'm going to have to live by all these rules. Help us get past that. The kingdom isn't a law place. It's a relationship place. Help us today to see and to hear and to accept and to receive everything that you have, everything that you want to make available. Amen? Honey, join me, please. So I want to pray over you. Would you stand with me, please, this morning?